When I graduated from university many years ago now, I never expected it to be easy to find work. It was in the middle of a recession and jobs were very scarce. Today, our current and post-coronavirus world looks like it could well be a case of everything old is new again. Younger workers typically have much more trouble finding and keeping employment in a recession. In the United States, during what we Australians call the global financial crisis, although the unemployment rate for all workers got as high as 10%, the rate for workers between the ages of 16 and 24 got to 19.2%. Apart from the obvious immediate negative impact, if you miss out on these entry-level jobs, it's very hard to catch up. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. This is season one, where we're looking at how to survive and even thrive in your career during the coronavirus crisis. In today's episode, which is number five in our coronavirus series, we're looking at five specific tips to help you win a good first job as quickly and as easily as possible. Because there's not going to be a quick recovery. Research found that those US college students who graduated during a recession, well, they earned 10% less the first year after completing their studies than they otherwise might have expected. And the effects of that go on for a long time. They continued for the next seven years. And it makes sense because many graduates had no choice but to take jobs that paid less. And that meant that every salary increase they got in those seven years came off that very low first base. So what can you do to avoid being caught up in this global disaster? During the global financial crisis, in Australia, the advice was go hard, go early, go family when it came to supporting our economy. So to paraphrase that for you, if you're a graduate, go hard, go early and go technical. So my first tip is about a technical area you can look at. Make sure that you get technical skills that go beyond what a normal graduate would have. So if I were looking at a job today, I'd be asking myself what skills a second or even third year our employee would have, and then I'd make sure that I got those skills. I was in my late 20s when I completed postgraduate studies in accounting, and I was older than most of the other grads by, by quite a way. And I'd switched from teaching French to a new industry sector and a new technical area. And I was determined to hit the ground running as soon as I could once I started my job. So I completed every single problem in every chapter of the accounting manual so that I properly understood the theory and the practice. My tutor thought I was bonkers and they actually changed the rules at my university afterwards to limit the number of times a student could actually bother their tutor during the term. And I think it was because of me. What I noticed in the following years in the workplace was that I had a grasp of accounting far beyond my peers. What they had seemed to do is they'd learnt really well for the exams and then they just forgot it. And so when I would talk to them about some accounting concepts, they'd look at me as if I was crazy. They had no idea of what I was talking about. You can access a lot more advanced content via free online courses. They're called MOOCs, Massive Open Online Courses. And there's also edX classes, which have free courses from MIT and Harvard. There's free Microsoft training and tutorials. And there's sites like Coursera.org. There's plenty of help out there. 
What you can also do just as a very quick practical tip to prepare you for your job search process, I would be practicing some of those recruitment aptitude tests. I once worked with a chartered accountant who failed the numeric component of his job application and you can imagine how embarrassed he was. And even though I was pretty good at maths at school, I think I would fail those now as well. So if you've got any doubt, start practicing now. Tip number two, keep up to date with technological changes in recruitment. You may already have started researching what does a good cover letter look like, what does a good resume look like. And you may therefore have come across this issue of applicant tracking software, which is called ATS. It's a really serious matter. There will be so many applicants applying for all of the roles that you're applying for that most organisations these days are likely to be using ATS and they use it to screen out candidates at the very first stage of recruitment. So what is ATS? It's software that sorts through thousands of resumes to work out which resumes are the best fit for the role that's been advertised. It does keyword searches, It might check your qualifications and whatever criteria the employer has put into that software, it will vet every resume to check whether or not that resume contains the information necessary. And only if you get a high enough score does your resume actually get read by a real person. And some ATS software can also find out information about your social media profiles. These employers really want to get a better feel, a richer feel for who you are. Now, ATS were first used by large corporations that received thousands of applications, but now you'll find most small businesses can use them. There's about 300 different bits of software, ATS software in the market, and the stats are that about 80% of employers in Australia use them. So you really do need to factor them in when you're looking for a job. What can you do? Okay, for each job that you're applying for, what I would do first is find out whether the employer is going to be using ATS or not. So you just make a quick phone call. I'm applying for this job. Just wanted to check whether or not I would need to make sure my resume fits for your ATS software. And they should tell you yes or no. If they are, then send them an ATS version of your resume. Now, there's plenty of blogs out there that will give you very detailed and very precise advice on how to modify your resume to make sure it suits. So I'm just going to cover a few areas that you might need to be careful of. The first area is you need to make sure that your font can be read by ATS software. Sometimes it can't read content in a PDF, for example, so you need to be careful of that. If you typically use acronyms, for example, WA instead of Western Australia, most ATS software get confused by that. Third thing, if you like to put a logo of your organisation in your resume, it may well be that the ATS can't read the logo or can't extract the data out of it. You need to be careful with headers, footers, text box and tables. Many ATS software can't actually read the content. So if you have put your education in a table, it's possible that that won't appear at all. Or if you've put your job title in a table, it won't appear. Or if you've put your contact details in a header, it won't appear. The fifth area that you need to be careful of with ATS is it doesn't like gaps in your work history. And so some ATS resumes will penalise you if you don't have every period of time since leaving school accounted for. These days, uh, point number six, these days I find especially younger people don't bother putting their address in their resume because they quite rightly think that no one's going to write to them anyway, or they may have privacy concerns. It's probably worth putting in at least your postcode because some software will be programmed to look for postcodes and if your postcode isn't in there, 
again, your resume may be rejected. And finally, sometimes the software makes a judgment about your worth based on how many years you've done a particular activity. So if you did bank reconciliations for four years in a job, and you also did it three years earlier in a previous job, but you decided not to talk about that previous job because you feel that you've already covered the fact that you've got a good grasp of bank reconciliations, your four years may not stack up against somebody else who has 10 years of experience. So typically an ATS software is longer with more repetition of information. Now, I mentioned asking them whether they are using ATS software or not. You might think, well, why don't I just submit an ATS software for everybody or for every job I'm applying for? I don't recommend it. The ATS version of your resume is not likely to look as attractive as your normal resume. And these days, more and more people will not actually read a document that does not look attractive. Remember, we spoke about the fact that your ATS software may need to be quite long. Again, people might think, really? Do they really think I want to read all of this content? And it could damage you. So develop two resumes, make sure they're both good. And of course, the purpose of the resume is to make the employer think, wow, this one looks great. Can't wait to interview this one. Tip number three, think about improving, and I'm going to use the word honing, really hone your communication skills. Because employers will be able to insist on candidates who have the whole box and dice, that they have both technical and soft skills to a very high level. Now, when it comes to soft skills, by the time you're ready to actually apply for a job, there is not much you can do to improve your soft skills. It it takes years of development, but you can improve your communication skills. If you think about it logically, no employer is going to say, hmm, we're not going to hire that person. She writes too correctly. Of course they're not, but they may well say the opposite. They may well think, I don't want to hold this person's hand and teach them punctuation for the next two years. This other person knows that. Let's hire the other person. Start improving your literacy. And you need to make sure it's, it's suitable for a sophisticated workplace. And there's three areas you might want to think about. The first one is the correctness of your written language. I can always remember a couple of years ago, my nephew came back from Canada. He'd been studying there. And one of the modules he did was a grammar module. And he had the biggest beam on his face when he talked to me about how he finally understood why you could do this in language and you couldn't do that. Now, he says that he is not as smart as his peers, but he says that it's his strong language skills that set him apart. Now, given that Callum has a PhD and was awarded one of only three Australian Fulbright scholarships last year, I don't think I'm going to agree with him about his intelligence, but he is, sadly, probably right about the grammar. The second area for you to look at with communication is to extend your vocabulary range. English has more than a million words that you can choose, and that means you can have the utmost clarity in what you say and the utmost precision. But you can only have that clarity and precision if you have a wide vocabulary in the first place. An added benefit is that if you have a wide vocabulary, you are able to have more nuanced language And with more nuanced language, you're more likely to be able to influence other people. I can always remember many years ago, I was 24, I was in the Greek islands, and I was talking to a group of French people about why it wasn't fair that they were setting off bombs in Miro or Atoll in the Pacific. And at the time, my French skills weren't that great. And I lost that argument 
because I just didn't have the complexity and nuanced language needed to convince them. And the final area to look at is, do you understand what tone of written language to use according to the situation in the workplace? And I can always remember one of my employees sending me an email and he would always start his email, hey, Catherine. And every time I opened it, I think, oh no. Have a think about what level of formality you need when you're talking to your colleagues. Again, this job that I took after doing my accounting degree, I worked in corporate banking. And boy, I was a lowly employee. And I used to have to send emails to the fourth highest earner in the bank um, who happened to work in New York City. And because I was in management accounting, I had to send him emails asking him to do something, instructing him to do something for me. You can imagine how careful I was to craft that email such that he would do what I want but not take offence. Tip number four you've probably never thought of. I want you to think about starting a job-ready group with your other friends from uni. So it's just like a study group. What you can do, if you all get together, you can give of your ability and your skill to the group and achieve synergy, which means that the sum of what the group achieves is greater than the sum of the individual parts. If you're going to set up a group, make sure that you select other people in the group who are not your competitors. So they're either looking at a different industry or they're looking at a different technical area so that you will be able to have true sharing in the group. And the point of it is that you all implement and help each other to implement effective job search strategies so that you all win a good job. Establish a job search plan and make sure that you have proper deliverables against it. And in the early stages, I'd recommend you meet once a week. You'll have a lot of work to do. Then when you're all settled, you've got the technical aspects of job search under your belt, you might want to just meet once a month. And the areas that you would need to target in this job ready group are obviously resumes, LinkedIn profile and LinkedIn use, cover letters, and then your job search strategies, networking, and of course, interviews, phone interviews, video interviews, selfie interviews, face-to-face interviews. There's lots for you to cover. But as I said, tap into the emotional and technical support you can get from your fellow friends. And my final tip is Not just tap into the expertise of your friends, but tap into whatever expertise you have available to you. Make sure you're operating at best practice level. I spoke to a young client the other day and he had made five attempts to win a job in the paramedics and these opportunities only came up once a year. So he spent five years trying to apply for the paramedics and he said that in the early years he had no idea how to sell himself. So those early years he just wasted his time And you can imagine the effect of that on on anybody's psyche. There are just no excuses anymore. There's excellent information available anywhere via the internet, of course, and via friends and contacts. I'm going to just pick up on one element, for example, of best practice so that you can understand how good your content can be and really how good it needs to be. So if you're talking about resumes, for example, here's a few guidelines that can help you. So very briefly, three points, a resume needs to look stylish and have internal logic in its heading and spacing. It needs to contain well-written, compelling evidence of your worth. And third, it needs to meet the length rules of your culture. So don't go looking at an internet blog which talks about a resume being one to two pages long. That's not necessarily appropriate for the Australian culture, for example. 
Each element of your job search that I talked about earlier, your cover letters, your LinkedIn, each element needs the same high level of expertise. And what you should do is divide the tasks up amongst the members of your group and then just get started. What is it that employers want these days? What is it that they've always wanted? In essence, an employer will assess three simple things about you. Can you do the job? Do you have the technical ability? Will you do the job? Do you appear to have self-motivation and determination? And will you fit in? This is what we're like here. Are you going to fit in with how we like to be? In the past, the negative effects of graduating in a recession didn't affect everybody the same way. If you were highly skilled, if you graduated from a famous university, or if you majored in a field that typically led to high salaries, these people tended to recover from early hits to their earnings by changing jobs and employers once the economy rebounded. It's too late for you to change your technical field or the quality of the university that you've been to, but you can become highly skilled in job search and as a graduate. If you cover off on all of the five elements in this podcast, you really are off to an excellent start. Best wishes, class of 2020. Now, this is only my fifth podcast, and I still don't have any reviews anywhere, and I only have a few subscribers. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share this podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm doing a regular fortnightly episode, and next episode, I'm going to give suggestions about how anyone, whether they're a grad or an experienced worker, can make career choices that suit them in this current crisis. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There you'll find a full article on the topic, might be an infographic, it might be a video, that will summarise the different elements. I'll repeat that, careerconsult.com.au. And I do a fortnightly mail out of videos, blogs and infographics. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website. As always, I'm going to finish with my hashtag, hashtag, why not be happy at work? 